Over the week, the kids were learning from five Bible stories, so I'm just going to read the five Bible verses that they were looking at. This is the Word of God. God said, You cannot see my face and live, for man cannot see my face and live. Then in Luke, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Then from Isaiah, But the Messiah was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. Then from Acts. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then on Friday. Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For all of our differences, there are some things, one thing, that we all have in common. There's one thing that makes us all the same. You, me, them. Everybody. We all have a problem. It's a problem much bigger than any of us might think. It affects us all. From the youngest to the oldest and everybody in between. We all know it. We don't like talking about it. We don't even like thinking about it. You might think that I'm going to say death is our biggest problem or sin I'm not folks our biggest problem is God we all know that one day we will die I don't have to convince you of that every single religion philosophy spirituality whether it confesses a belief in God or not they all know that problem There's some folks believe that that's it. 50, 60, 70 years. And that's it. No more. Others believe that if we're good, we'll get reincarnated. We'll work our way up a ladder of existence until eventually we reach a state of enlightenment. Others again, and this is the most common belief that I found in Northern Ireland, is that we try to keep the commandments. We live a good life, and that will solve our problem for when we meet God. I don't know what you've been brought up to believe, and I don't know why you believe the things that you do believe. Do you really believe that billions of years ago, lightning hit a swamp, and that started life? If you do, that is your free choice, and I'm not here to criticize you or to make fun of you. But have you ever thought, what is the basis for your belief? Have you genuinely thought about it, researched it, or have you just taken somebody's word for it? Are you satisfied for the reason that you believe that? If you believe you'll be reincarnated, you're free to believe that. 
But again, why do you believe that? Is there something in that that offers you a bit of hope? A bit of motivation to help your fellow humans? Do you find some comfort in believing that there is more to life than this? If you believe that following a moral code, that that will earn you a seat in heaven, why do you believe that? What's the basis of that belief? Whether it's the Ten Commandments or the Five Pillars, what is the pass mark for God? Is it 35%, 80%? How do you know? This morning, I'm not trying to convert you to Presbyterianism or mock you or make fun of whatever you believe. If that's your, been your experience, I hope this might be a little bit different. And I'm certainly not here to offer you an answer to every single one of your questions. Christianity is, in part, faith-seeking understanding. I'm not here to push you into a particular political philosophy or anything like that. There are brilliant atheists, philosophers, and kind people in every walk of life. In fact, I wonder what your experience has been of church and people who say they're Christians. Maybe you think we're middle-class, clean-living hypocrites who struggle with anyone else who is not a clean-living, middle-class hypocrite. Maybe it's folk who find out you're a single parent, judge you, ignore you, without one iota of understanding what your story is. Maybe it's people who once smell drink on your breath or smoke on your clothes and immediately lost interest because you weren't like them. Whatever your story is, I want you to hear one thing. I believe that God has brought you here this morning because he has been working through all of that to offer you the hope that we can find alone in Jesus Christ. This morning could well be the hour where you begin to see how your story and God's story cross. Not because of anything that I'm going to say, but because of what Jesus has said. He is the way, the truth, and the life. This morning could well be the hour that you see the hope that some of us here in Eden Grove have in Christ Jesus. As you might have heard from the kids, uh, this week they've been learning about five colored jewels, which are conveniently above me. Each one represents something that we need to know from Scripture. So we'll think about the lesson behind each one, and then we'll finish with the big picture, a claim, that claim, that Jesus makes about himself. It's a claim that no one here at Eden Grove has conjured up. This didn't begin with John Calvin or whoever. This is what Jesus says about himself. On Monday, the first day, we find the holiness of God. And that story brings us face to face with the problem that we all have. God. When someone, Moses, asks God if he can see him, God's response is, 
you cannot see my face and live, for no one may see me and live. Why can nobody see God and live? Well, it's because God is holy. God is completely set apart. There is no badness in God. God is good all the time. The Bible never describes God as an old man sitting on a cloud with a long beard talking to Homer Simpson. Really tough prayer. Instead, here's a few ways that God speaks about, uh, that the Bible speaks about God. Hebrews talks about the holiness of God. It says, our God is a consuming fire. Revelation calls him the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Isaiah refers to him as not just holy, but holy, holy, holy. If any of us were to walk into the presence of a world leader, we wouldn't simply waltz in in our pajamas. We would want them to know that we know our place and we know the respect that they're due, whether it's the queen or the president or whoever. We recognize that they have some authority over us. So imagine stepping into the presence of someone who's not simply a king or a lord, but is the king of kings and the lord of lords. The one who loves justice and goodness and peace so much that anything that is the opposite is burned up in his presence. The problem that we have with God is that none of us, not one of us, me especially, not one of us is as good as God. Only what is perfectly good, perfectly just, perfectly peaceful can stand in God's presence. In fact, none of us, none of us can look at God and live. He is that holy. He is that good. Even if we try to keep the rules, one slip-up means that we are not perfect. But we don't believe that that is where the story ends. Instead, Christ came on a mission. Left to our own devices, we are absolutely unable to climb the ladder to God. Even if we did manage to build a big enough mountain of our own good works that we could somehow stand on to reach heaven and get a glimpse of God, we already know that nobody can look at God and live. So where's the good news? Well, Scripture also says that God is love. God does not leave us in that hopeless situation. God knows that we can't climb that ladder up into heaven. So instead of us climbing, God comes down to us. And he doesn't come looking like anything special. And that's where uh, Tuesday's story picked up. Jesus Christ himself, God himself, makes a great announcement that he came to seek and to save the lost. Despite what you've heard before, Jesus Christ did not come to give us good advice. He didn't come to point the finger and say, try harder. He came to seek and to save, to look for, to find, and to save the lost. So who's the lost? Well, it might sound very obvious, but 
It's really anyone who's not saved. Anyone who is not saved is lost. And that's why Jesus came. To save us. To save us from being found guilty of all the wrong that we've done. The Bible word for that is sin. It's either doing what we know we shouldn't, or not doing what we know we should. It's that sin that makes us less than perfect. It's sin that makes us unable to look at the face of God and live. It's our sin that makes God our problem. But that's what Christ came to save us from. And that love is not an invention of the New Testament. That love has always been the big picture of the Bible. It's not like somehow God changed his mind 2,000 years ago and said, I better do something to save these folks. The plan from the beginning always was that God would come and save his people. On Wednesday, the kids heard about a promise written 700 years before Christ was born. The kids heard a promise about this Messiah that was to come, who would save his people. And he wouldn't save them by giving them a set of rules. And again, he wouldn't save them by pointing the finger and say, try harder. He wouldn't say that sin's not important either. But instead he came to seek and to save the lost, and to save the lost by taking that death sentence that we are all under, that no one can look at God and live He would take that death sentence on himself. And he did that on the cross. Isaiah says, he was pierced for our sin. He was crushed for our sin. He took the punishment that has brought us peace. And it's by his wounds we're healed. The punishment that would otherwise kill us, Christ took on himself. The only truly good person who ever lived. The only one who knows what it means to have lived a perfect life. That King of Kings, that Lord of Lords, the very one to whom the angels cry, Holy, Holy, Holy. He came to die a sinner's death on a cross for the love of his people and for the love of God. For people like you and for people like me to come to seek and to save the lost. But it doesn't even stop there. This is why it was five days. I won't say tough crowd again. All that might be very kind, might be very noble, might be very loving. But St. Paul says in one of his letters that if that is where the story ends, then so what? We should all be pitied. If Jesus, Paul says, is still dead, then what hope could any of us possibly have? If Jesus is dead, then that means our God is dead. And who in their right mind would want to worship a dead God? But instead, the Bible makes an astounding claim. It makes a claim that is hard to believe. If you read the Gospels, you'll know that the folks who even witnessed this found it hard to believe. But the Bible does make this claim. 
that Jesus, dead and buried, came back from the grave three days later for the very reason that he defeated death. Even death could not hold Jesus. And that's what we celebrate around Easter, the resurrection, because we believe in a living God. On Thursday, the kids heard what happened next. After the risen Savior was seen by hundreds of witnesses, and unlike us, who could never ascend to heaven, Christ ascended to heaven. And we believe that one day he will come back. But he's not going to come back and die again. He will come back to judge the living and the dead. He will be coming back to judge those who refused to bow the knee. He's coming back for his people. If our king isn't Jesus, then it means we cannot possibly look at him and live. If we refuse Jesus, we're saying that his mission, that the promise of scripture, that his death means nothing to us. That ultimately our hope is in other things. And very sadly, things that cannot and will never bring us peace with God. Instead, on Friday, the kids learned another amazing truth. Jesus' statement about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. We don't have to be in any doubt whatsoever that when Christ died on the cross for our sin, that that was it. It's finished. That is the total payment. That is the total execution of God's wrath and justice. Fulfilled. All of it. One writer puts it like this. Jesus didn't simply offer himself as a teacher of the path to truth, the path to happiness, but as the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not only our guide. Jesus is our destination. One of the reasons that I'm a Christian, instead of an atheist or a Hindu or a Buddhist or anything else, is that none of those things offer me any good news. The best that I have to hope for in this life, because this life is all that we have, is maybe a big car and a big house and a holiday. What about the pain, the suffering, the cancer, the depression, the grief, the mourning? The absolute best that we have to look forward to is some version of the American dream. Or maybe that when we die, we'll get reincarnated as something else. Maybe a bug. Maybe a Man United player. Maybe that we will die again and again and again and uh, gradually reach some higher knowledge. Is that really what you're hoping for when you die? That your good deeds will outweigh your bad and you'll get reincarnated as something a little bit better? It's quite kind of hopeless, isn't it? Or some folk even believe that if we die as a member of a church, that we go through the fires of purgatory for thousands of years 
to finish the work that Christ has already finished on the cross. None of that sounds like better news than Christ has presented in the gospel. One reason that so many of us in Eden Grove love Christ is that he died in our place. One reason that we're so eager to share the good news of Christ is that there is nobody too bad for him. Nobody is beyond the reach of Christ. If your faith is in Christ, all your sins are forgiven. Christ says that anybody, anybody who comes to him, he will never cast aside. He will never tell to go away. You can have the eternal hope of Christ Jesus. Not my words, Christ's words. That death is not the end and that we know the certainty of heaven. And we know that Christ alone is the one who will lead us into heaven because he is the only one who has come from heaven. Christ alone knows the way. Buddha, Mohammed, the Pope, scientists, philosophers, the moderator, whoever. Who came from heaven? Christ, who ascended to heaven. Christ, who knows the way to heaven. Christ, who is the way to heaven. Christ. There are folks who might be wise, kind, loving. They might do a lot of good. There might be a lot that we can learn from them. But none of them offer us the good news that we have clearly in Scripture. That God so loved the world, and that includes us in Ballina Hinch, even my crowd in the Republic, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whosoever believes, believes in him, not believes and tries harder, not believes and does good works, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Folks, I see many, many, many familiar faces. But to everybody... Please do not let this opportunity slip through your fingers. If you don't know Christ, whatever you think Christianity is, it's not what you think. Isaiah also says, Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Who would walk away from the certainty of that promise? Knowing that that is the only way that we will ever see God and not go to a lost eternity in hell. This morning, we thank God for his grace to us in Eden Grove.